We are continuing in our series in the Proverbs. Before getting back into the text, I wanted to make sure that I'm clear on the nature of biblical wisdom and the pursuit of biblical wisdom as a Christian. Biblical wisdom is of God and not of man. In James chapter 3, there's a clear difference between the wisdom that is from above and the wisdom that is from below. In the theology of James and the rest of the New Testament, those who have possession of the wisdom that is from above have that wisdom because they've been born from above. They have been brought forth by the word of truth, James says. Those who have been born from above have the spirit of God dwelling in them and are thus able to know his wisdom. Paul confirms this truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Jesus talked about what it means to be born again to Nicodemus, who was a teacher of Israel, one who would have known the Old Testament scriptures thoroughly. He knew them, and yet he did not know the Lord in a saving way. And Jesus underscored the point in John chapter 3 that the reason why he did not know God in a saving way, even though he knew the Bible, the Old Testament, is because he did not have the Spirit of God, because he was not yet born from above, born again. All that to say that Jesus understood and the apostles after him understood that there would be no wisdom, no understanding of God, his word, his purposes, No clarification of those things apart from the work of God in the heart of man. There would be no ability to understand the things of the Spirit of God without access to the indwelling Spirit in the life of man. You cannot begin to understand the Word, His truth, His wisdom, without having the Spirit of God dwell within you. So as we've been studying the Proverbs in search of the wisdom of God, and we come to a chapter like chapter 3, which we started last week, and I shared the big idea of the chapter, that wisdom leads to the good life, and that wisdom is for all of life. If I say that, and you hear it, and you say, um, I don't think so, or I'm not so sure about that, or if we talk about the specifics of the good life, the specific aspects of wisdom, and in your heart you don't I really understand what we're talking about or you don't really see the value of it. The reason is possibly that you don't have the spirit of God within you. And you're not yet born again. In the Gospels, Jesus would frequently make the comment, let the one who has ears to hear, hear. Or he would say something like he says in chapter 10 of John, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. 
Those who are born again can understand and do agree with the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is from God. We may not follow it perfectly, and we may feel our need for it daily, but there is inside of us an earnest desire for the wisdom of God and a basic agreement with the wisdom of God when we hear it from the Word of God. There is a desire to follow. And this is because God gives us a qualitatively new kind of life on the inside through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I read from Titus chapter three a little bit earlier paul says again but when the goodness and loving kindness of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of works we've done in righteousness but according to his own mercy how did he save us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life In order to understand the wisdom of God, we need the Holy Spirit of God, whom God pours out richly on those who have faith in Christ. It is only this new birth that allows us to comprehend these things. And again, we're returning to our text in Proverbs chapter 3. And we're reminded again that wisdom is for life. It is intended for the good life and is intended for a life that God will bless. I shared last week that there are three main points in the outline of this passage. First, that wisdom leads to a life oriented towards God. Second, that wisdom leads to a life blessed by God. And third, that wisdom leads to a life secured by God. Before we get back into the text, I'll read Proverbs chapter 3 for us, and then we'll have a prayer. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By his understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. 
and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, though the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Father, we thank you for another opportunity that we have to look into your word. I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively would be acceptable in your sight. For Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. For the first point, again, just by way of reminder, we looked at this last week. If you pursue wisdom, then you are pursuing a life oriented towards God. That was verses 1 through 12. I said at that time, a life oriented toward God will seek to be faithful as the Lord is faithful. Those who seek the wisdom of God, the ability to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, will seek to be like Him. They'll seek to live like Him. God has declared Himself to be a God full of steadfast love and faithfulness, and thus we ought to be the same way. A life oriented towards God will seek to be dependent on the Lord's guidance. We will seek to acknowledge him in all of our ways, not assuming that we always know best, but always looking for his guidance in life. A life oriented towards God will be holy as the Lord is holy. We will walk in the fear of the Lord. We will actively turn away from evil, even from the appearance of evil. We believe that his ways are full of equity, justice, and righteousness, and so we'll turn away from the path of evil and toward the path of the good. In the words of Proverbs chapter 2, a life oriented towards God will seek to, know, to honor the Lord with our wealth. We will want to honor the Lord in every way possible and understand that our wealth is a clear indication of our priorities. And so we'll want to use our wealth to honor him. We will, moreover, honor him with the first fruits of our wealth, not leaving the leftovers to him, but setting aside a portion of our wealth ahead of time before we address any other thing so that it is clear that our confidence is in the Lord and not our wealth. Finally, last week we said that a life oriented towards God will also remember to embrace and not despise the discipline of the Lord. It's easy to despise discipline, or in this case, corrective teaching. No one likes to be corrected from the youngest of us to the eldest, and yet the corrective teaching of God as a part of his grace as our heavenly father to his adopted children. Our father desires for us to share in his holiness until he corrects us for our good. Those of us who are his children by virtue of the new birth adopted into his family through faith in Christ should respond to his correction by embracing it and not despising it. The wisdom that is from above, the wisdom of God, gives the kind of wisdom that leads to a life oriented towards the Lord in every possible way. It will be faithful, dependent, holy, honoring of him, including our wealth and humble before his correction. 
And I asked then, and I'll ask again now, does that describe you, Christian? Does that describe your life before the Lord? Is your life oriented towards him? Moving on, there are two other main points in this text. Wisdom is for life. It leads to the good life. A good life is oriented towards the Lord. But the second point, we said that the wisdom of God leads to a life that is blessed by God. Look at verses 13 through 20 again. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasantness, ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. I mentioned, excuse me. I mentioned last week, one of the things we fail to do in teaching wisdom, both to our children, but also in the church at large, is not just to teach the mechanics of wisdom, the mechanics of the Word of God, the how-tos, but also to teach the beauty of wisdom, the sweetness of wisdom, the blessing of wisdom, and living in a way that the Lord desires. That's one thing this text, this section does best. He starts out, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Wisdom and understanding are being used synonymously here. This is the thing that the blessed one finds or gets. They get wisdom. They get understanding. Those who are blessed. Don't miss the imperative in these words. There is effort that you must put forth. Wisdom does not come by osmosis. If you find yourself lacking in wisdom as a Christian, if you find yourself struggling knowing what to do, how to apply the word of God, the truth of God, it may be because you're not actively pursuing his wisdom. You've not prioritized his wisdom in your life. You spend more time soaking in the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of friends, the wisdom of your former life, and not the wisdom that is from above. The promise of this text is that when you find wisdom, when you get wisdom, and the implication is that you're actually seeking it, then you will be blessed. The word blessing is mentioned twice in the text and forms two bookends between verses 13 through 18. In this section, blessing, blessedness is the big idea. It's the main point. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? We hear that word a lot in church context, but an exact definition is difficult to come by. To be blessed in biblical theology has to do with the grace of God at work in our lives for our good. To be blessed of God is to have God grant you the abundant life that the word of God speaks of. A good example of this is found in Psalm 1. There it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This one is seeking after the wisdom of God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. We talked about this a number of times as we've been thinking about wisdom. Psalm 1 is a wisdom text in the Psalms. 
But listen to that description, and this is poetry, so it's using the illustration of this tree that's planted by streams of water to communicate something about the life of someone who seeks after the wisdom of God, who seeks the word of God. They're like a tree planted by streams of water. A tree needs water to grow, to live. And one that's planted by streams of water is going to grow fruitfully. It's going to have all that it needs. It yields fruit in its season. There's not a season that goes by when it should yield fruit that it doesn't yield fruit. It doesn't yield fruit in in times when it's not supposed to yield fruit, right? But it yields fruit in its season. Also, its leaf does not wither. It never dries up. It never shrivels away. It doesn't lose its vitality. And all that he does, he prospers says the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And that's the key to understanding this song. The blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, meditating in it day and night. He is the one of whom it is said that the Lord knows his way. The Lord knows his way, upholds his way, strengthens his way, supports his way, applies grace to the way of the righteous. And therefore, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. The blessing of God is for the one who finds wisdom. Those who find wisdom are those who delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in his word, his way, his will. They pursue his wisdom. They abide in his wisdom. Therefore, their life is blessed of God. Back to the text in Proverbs, we can see the text indicating that a wise man is blessed in poetic language that's used back in the Proverbs, chapter 3. We're blessed just for possessing wisdom because wisdom is a great treasure, according to verses 14 through 18. He says, starting out in verse 14, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. He's using a comparison here. The gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver or gold. Now, you can do a lot with silver or gold. I bet we could all think of a number of things we could do with silver and gold. And that's the point. The gain of her is in view. The her there is wisdom. It's not just the possession of silver and gold. It's what having a treasure of silver and gold can afford. Now, again, think about that for a minute. What can you do with silver or gold? What could you buy? What bills could you pay off? If you are so inclined, who could you help? How many mouths could you feed of your family, of friends in the world if you had a treasure of silver and gold? What good could you do with it? The point of this text is that wisdom is better than that. Wisdom can do greater good than that. Its gain is better than that. Do you believe that? Consider the good that can be done from those who possess the wisdom of God. Those whose lives are oriented towards God, who are full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Consider the good of an army of people who always acknowledge the Lord before they do anything. Consider the good of a group of people who are holy as God is holy, who actively turn away from evil and seek to do good. Consider the good of those who seek to honor the Lord with the first fruits of their wealth, all the good that can be done through the people of God when they do this. Consider the good that can be done by those who do not refuse the corrective teaching of the Lord, but who embrace it and respond to it. 
consider the good that can be done through that group of people. Solomon continues in verse 15. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Even more than a treasure of silver and gold is a treasure of jewels. The point of the same, and he makes it more explicit. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Not silver, not gold, not jewels, nor any other thing that you desire compares with the gain of wisdom. The question is, do you believe that, Christian? If you do believe that, how do you show you believe that? Are you pursuing the wisdom of God in your life? Are you pursuing his word? Are you pursuing his truth? In verses 16 and 17, he makes the kind of benefits a little more explicit. We can speculate as to the gain that wisdom can afford, but Solomon uses poetic language here to express the gain of wisdom. He says, long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Now, these are proverbs. Again, proverbs make observations about life. These are not necessarily promises, but this is normally what happens in life. Those who have wisdom tend to live longer. That's the point. They tend to have long life because of the pursuit of the wisdom of God. I mean, what would most people pay to live longer? What would they give to live longer? The wisdom of God leads to a longer life. And that is true because God is the giver of life. And as we pursue his wisdom, as we seek from him the skill to live in a way that pleases him, he upholds life and helps us to live longer. He actively works in our life through his wisdom to bless us, to make good decisions, sound decisions that lead to a good long life. Conversely, those who do not possess his wisdom, who do not live in the fear of him, those who do not pursue his purposes, the fool, in other words, will have a short life, a life that ends quickly due to their foolish living. Now, we can look at any number of Proverbs to to make that clear, right? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For a jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. And the Proverbs is using a very simple illustration here. If you commit adultery, and, <laughs> and the husband finds out, right? He's talking to his son, so he's saying you as uh, as, a, as a young man commit adultery with a woman who's married and her husband finds out he's not going to accept payment. He's going to be angry and his wrath is going to come down on you and it's going to come down on you hard. And you're probably not going to survive that. That's the point. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 5, he who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And there are other Proverbs that talk about the sluggard or the one who's slothful, the one who is lazy. Those who are lazy don't live long because they don't have anything to live off of because they don't work hard. If you don't work hard, you don't get paid, you don't have any produce, and so you're not going to live long, right? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31 and 32, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. Those who have a perverse tongue, those who don't know how to guard their lips when they speak, they say whatever they want to say. The fool, in other words, They're not going to live long because they're going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person. Those who live wisely will live longer. Again, that's the point. 
And we could probably think of any number of other examples. I was just thinking about this over this past week. I mean, we have these crosswalks out on Frederick Road, right? And they're, they're marked by these bright uh, kind of or- yellow signs that indicate that it's a crosswalk and it's for pedestrians to walk across. And the law states that if someone is at the crosswalk and they're walking across, you have to stop if you're in a vehicle. That's what the law states. So you could just walk across the street and you could have the expectation that people will stop because that's what the law says, right? But it would be foolish of you to walk across the street without looking first. I mean, we learned that when we're two, right? You got to look both ways when you walk across the street. I mean, now some people do this and those people are fools. And if that's you, I'm sorry, but it's foolish to do that. But the re- part of the reason why it's foolish is because, yes, the law says so, but there might be people who, are not, who don't care about the law. Or there might be people who are law-abiding citizens, but maybe they get a text message as they're driving down the road. And just that one time, they look. Or they spill coffee in their lap, right? Anything could happen in that vehicle, and you have no idea. And so wisdom dictates, look both ways before you cross the street. And those who look both ways before they cross the street tend to live longer than those who do not. That's the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Back to our text. Not only long life, but also riches and honor, he says. Those who possess the wisdom of God will find favor in the sight of God and man. That's what uh, Proverbs um, chapter 2 said a little bit earlier. And so it follows that they'll also possess riches and honor. They'll receive riches. They tend to be those who work hard, and so they'll have more income. And they'll have honor because they honor other people. They're full of steadfast love and faithfulness. But he goes on in our text. He says, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Again, wisdom. Those who possess wisdom have lives that are characterized by pleasantness and peace. If you live in the fear of the Lord, if you walk according to his wisdom, then your life will be characterized by pleasantness and peace. Our ways are ways of pleasantness. This word is otherwise translated as delightfulness. The ways of wisdom are pleasant, enjoyable, delightful. There will be days full of the goodness of God. His reward for those who pursue his glory is contentment. It's joy in life. All of her paths are peace. The pleasantness of her ways is also characterized by peace. We know what the peace of God is. That means wholeness, completeness. You'll have a feeling, again, of fullness, of lacking nothing. You'll be content, again, throughout your life. Peace is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5. Peace is what the Lord promises to those who keep their minds stayed on him, according to Isaiah 26. Peace, according to this passage in Proverbs, is the result of life committed to walking in the wisdom of the Lord. Could any of you use that kind of peace today? It's available to you in Christ through a spirit, in the spirit of wisdom. Now, I have to say here that the paths of peace and the paths of, paths of pleasantness and peace does not always mean a life without sorrow. We were talking about this earlier in, in Bible study. We all have our crosses to bear. We've labored to teach our children a very basic truth in life that there are some times that we do what we want to do and other times when we do what we must do. Life doesn't revolve around what we want to have happen, what we're comfortable with, what we like and enjoy. The pursuit of those things above all other things is a slippery slope that will lead to disaster. 
Rather, we seek to do what is right, what is wise. And if that means doing something we don't like to do, that's okay because there's a greater blessing in pursuing the wisdom of God than pursuing our own perceived good. Sometimes our life is like that. Sometimes it's full of things that we love to do. Sometimes it's full of things that we just have to do. And it's hard and it's difficult. That doesn't mean that the blessing of God is not on you. Again, isn't this the testimony of Jesus and his life? We read from Hebrews chapter 12 earlier. I mean, any of those name it, claim it, prosperity kind of preachers have clearly never read the Bible. They never read about David who suffered. Never read about Moses. Never read about Abraham. They never read, clearly never read about Jesus, who before he even was even born into the world was prophesied to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I mean, of all the people who have faith and who have a great amount of faith, obviously Jesus had faith in his father or his father wouldn't have been pleased with him. And yet, and yet he had sorrow. And yet he suffered. And yet he endured the cross. But how did he endure the cross and the sorrow and the suffering? The text in Hebrews said, for the joy set before him. He endured the difficulty and the cross and all of the, the, the turmoil and trial throughout his life, throughout his short life, for the joy set before him. The joy that he had in obeying his father and the joy that he would have in the reward that the father would give to him for his righteousness. Jesus is the blessed one of Psalm 1, whose leaf never withered, who bore fruit in its season, the one who prospered in all that he did, the one who is granted long life, riches, and honor. Those things were true of him, not in spite of the cross, but because of the cross. And similarly, those who possess the wisdom of God are blessed just like Jesus. Back in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon summarizes it this way in verse 18. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The kind of gain and vision here in the Proverbs for those who lay hold of and those who hold fast to wisdom is reminiscent of the blessing of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Whereas man in his fallen state was kicked out of the garden in order to prevent them from partaking of the tree of life, we are given access to a tree of life as we partake in the wisdom of God. In the world, and even some Christians fall into this trap, we covet wealth. They look at wealth as the most important commodity, the thing that they ought to pursue at all costs, the thing that if they were, if they were to possess would make their life complete, whole, would make them dwell secure. When people get monetary resources or wealth, they call themselves blessed by God. The Word of God says that it's not silver or gold, it's not costly jewels. In fact, it's nothing in all of God's creation that you could desire that can compare with the, the gain of wisdom, the blessedness of possessing the wisdom of God. Again, the wisdom of God yields long life, riches and honor, ways of pleasantness, paths of peace. The wisdom of God is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. The wisdom of God is a great treasure, but it's also a great tool. Look at verses 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. 
The Lord is not giving us some lesser treasure, in other words. The wisdom that he grants his people is the same kind of wisdom that he used in creating things in the very beginning. By wisdom he founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps were broken up and the clouds dropped the dew. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are being used synonymously, all to point to the same reality, to the reality that God himself uses wisdom. He used wisdom to create. He uses wisdom to sustain all things. The testimony of wisdom in Proverbs 8 is this, and this is the testimony of wisdom. This is wisdom speaking. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. That's wisdom speaking. The point is, if God used wisdom to create the heavens and the earth and offers us the same wisdom, what great things could you do with it? What difficult problems would you fail to solve? What decisions could you easily conquer? What evil could you avoid? Which of the sins that so easily entangle you could you easily get out of? What thoughts could you take captive to obedience to Christ? What good could you do in the world? How much easier would it be to walk in a manner worthy of our calling if you possessed this same wisdom, the wisdom that God used in creating the world? The wisdom of God leads to a blessed life. It leads to a life blessed of God. Wisdom will be as a great treasure for your life, better than silver, gold, or costly jewels. Wisdom is as a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. Long life, riches, and honor, pleasant ways, paths of peace await those who possess and keep hold of wisdom. It is a great treasure and a great tool. The same tool that God used in creating the world, he offers to his people for their use to create, to solve problems, to walk in a way that honors him. I asked this question before, and I'll ask it again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the wisdom of God is one of the greatest blessings that God will ever give to you, beloved. When you're tempted to think that God is not blessing me right now, God hasn't blessed me, God hasn't done anything good for me lately, and yet he offers you this great treasure. We talked about wealth, and people, again, tend to think about, talk about wealth and finances as their greatest blessing. God blessed me with a raise. God blessed me with a new car, fancy clothes. We talk about our health. We're blessed to be physically alive. We woke up this morning. We can talk. We can walk. We got a clean bill of health. And so we're blessed because we're healthy. Yes, in a very real sense, those things are blessings. But we also understand that God is generally gracious to all with those things. The ability to make and have wealth is a blessing that God generally gives to all people, all humans. Health is a blessing that God generally gives to all people, all humans. The word of God says that he makes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. But there's a particular kind of blessing that he only reserves for his people. 
that is only available to his people, and that is his wisdom. Do you see that as a blessing of God for you? And if you believe that that is one of the greatest blessings that God offers you today, do you avail yourself of his wisdom? Do you pray frequently for his wisdom? Do you seek the word of God for his wisdom? Do you look for more opportunities to to get into his word so that you you can derive more wisdom? This is a kind of a strange illustration, but I was thinking about this yesterday because we had some, um, some pork chops. <laughs> and uh, you ever had like a piece of meat where um, a pork chop or a steak or something and, and there's some fat and so you try to cut off the fat because you know there's like a piece of meat like right in the middle of the fat and it's probably like the best, most flavorful piece because it's surrounded by all this fat. It's probably the worst part for you, right, because it's surrounded by all this fat. But you got to like really dig into it to get to it. And you, 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 you know, and sometimes with kids, they'll like, they'll just discard the rest of it because they're like, it's just fat. And you're like, no, there's meat in there. You got to get into it. You got to dig a little bit deeper to get to that, that, get, that, that nugget of meat, that flavorful piece of meat. Like when you, when you understand that the wisdom of God is the greatest blessing for you, then you'll do whatever you have to do to get to that nugget of wisdom. Because you know it's the best thing that you could ever receive. You know, there's going to be so much flavor, so much fruit, so much benefit. And you do whatever you have to do to get to it. Does that describe you, beloved? You cling to the wisdom of God and protect it as if it were a costly pearl, a treasure of silver and gold. This is why Solomon writes the Proverbs. This is why he spends so much time comparing wisdom to the wealth of the world. He wants his son to long for and treasure the wisdom that he teaches because he knows that this will, in fact, be the most valuable commodity for his son. Well, again, in chapter 3, Solomon desires for his son to have a good life, a life full of wisdom, a life oriented towards God, a life blessed by God, and ultimately a life secured by God. That's in the rest of the passage, verses 21 through 25. I won't read them again now, but I'll read the verses as we go through. Verses 21 and 22 He gives a caution. Do not let go of wisdom. Again, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep track of, keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. We're talking about a life secured by God, by his wisdom in this last section. Wisdom and discretion are functioning synonymously here. Again, he's piling on his encouragement to his son. Do not lose sight of it. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Again, I said earlier, this text is encouraging us to understand that there is an imperative. There is effort that must be put forth. We must pursue wisdom. We must get wisdom. We must find wisdom. And when we do, there will be blessing. But we must also hold on to wisdom. We must fight to keep it before us. Do not lose sight of wisdom. Protect the wisdom that you receive. Guard it with your life because it is for life. Don't let it go. It will be life for your soul, he says, and adornment for your neck. Again, both public and private life, it will be of great benefit for you if you hold on to wisdom. He elaborates, talking about the security that God gives to those who hold on to 
his wisdom. Your steps will be secure. Verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. The decisions you make, the choices you make, the direction your life takes as a result will be secure. You will not stumble. You will not utterly come to ruin. It's really what we try to avoid when we need to make decisions in life, when we're faced with difficult decisions in life. As we're walking the path of life, we don't want to stumble. We don't want to fall. We don't want to come to ruin. Those who hold fast to the wisdom of God and who use it will never have to worry about that. That's the point. He says, your steps will be secure. Also, your sleep will be secure. Verse 24, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Sometimes the reason we have bad dreams, the reason we have trouble in sleep is because we've been devising evil during our day. We've been doing evil or perhaps simply exposing ourselves to evil. And the evil that we've been devising The evil that we've been doing, the evil that we've been exposing ourselves to troubles us in our sleep. But again, if we're Christian, then we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Thus, we cannot have a restful sleep, a peaceful sleep. Our hearts and minds will not be at rest if we're thinking on evil and not on what is good and right and true. Again, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates in it day and night. Isaiah 26, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When we cling to wisdom, our steps will be secure, our sleep will be secure, and our future will be secure. And this is much like the first point. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Again, when we think about the future, when we think about what may come as a result of our decisions, we don't have to worry about the possibility of negative consequences because we've been walking in the fear of the Lord. We've been pursuing his wisdom, holding fast his wisdom. We don't have to wonder if the Lord's going to bring judgment, the sudden terror of the wicked. We don't have to worry about that. It's not going to keep us up at night. We don't have to wonder if the Lord is going to bring judgment upon us for the things that we choose because we've been pursuing his glory seeking his wisdom. Verse 26, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This is where he's been heading all along. The reason why the wisdom of God works, the reason why the wisdom of God is good, why it leads to a good life, the blessed life, is precisely because the Lord honors those who walk in wisdom. When we walk in the wisdom of God, he becomes our confidence. He is our help. He is the one who keeps us from stumbling. He is the one who secures our steps, who provides restful sleep. He is the one who withholds judgment. It is the Lord who becomes our confidence, not our ability to do good, not our ability to be smart or to be right, not our talent, not our money. For the one who pursues the wisdom of God, their confidence, their hope is in the Lord. Solomon's going to return to this thought at the very end of this chapter, but before that, he takes a brief moment to review some of those principles of wisdom. And I think this is meant to just be a reminder to his son. And so he hits a number of these, um, these things that his son needs to remember to walk in wisdom. What does wisdom look like is kind of the question. As you read through the Proverbs, he's trying to express to his son what wisdom looks like. This is what wisdom does. This is what you need to remember. This is how you need to be in this world. For us, as we're relying on the the grace of God to keep us and to to help us to walk in a way that pleases him. Do not withhold good when you can do good. 
Verses 27 and 28, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it, when you have it with you. If you can do good for someone, don't not do it. If you can do good for someone, do it. Do good. Be a blessing. Look for a way to be a blessing. Every time we pray about Sunday morning, Saturday evening, Monday morning, throughout the week, we pray that God, my family, we pray that God would help us to be a blessing to someone else. And we use that terminology. Lord, as we go to fellowship, help us to be a blessing to someone else because that's the mindset that we need to have. That we're coming together and we gather together with the people of God not so that we can receive all the time. Not so that we can get. So somebody can see me and do something good for me. No, so that we can be a blessing. And if all of us are being a blessing, then no one is going to lack. Do you get that? This is just a basic relationship principle. Husbands and wives, the same thing is true of them. If the husband loves his wife and is trying to do for her, and the wife loves her husband and she's trying to do for him, then both of them will be taken care of. The problem comes in when, what? I just need, I need, gimme, gimme, gimme. The same thing in the church. Same thing when we gather together with God's people. If we're always just saying, gimme, 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 then no one's going to have their needs met. But if each one of us has the attitude, I am going to do good today to someone else, for someone else, then everyone's needs are going to be met. Do not plan evil against your neighbor. I think that's pretty straightforward, right? Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Your neighbor, the one who dwells trustingly beside you, whether it's your actual neighbor or your brother or sister in Christ, the one who's closest to you, people who are closest to you, don't plan evil against them. Again, look to do good. I think this is a part of the same point as before. Do not fight a man for no reason. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Again, seek to do good to others. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. We don't envy a man of violence because we know that the judgment of God is going to come upon them. And again, those who are men of violence are seeking to do evil and not seeking to do good, and we ought to seek to do good. And again, all of this is true because of the end, the last final verses here, verses 32 through 35. For the devious person, the one who does all of the things that he just said not to do, the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. He's like, do you get it, son? All of this talk of blessing from walking in the wisdom of God is not because the people of God, whether Israel in her day or the church, are special in and of themselves. We're not the solution. We're not holier than anyone else on our own strength of our own will. Because we were born in a Christian family, because we go to a certain kind of church, none of those things are the reason why we're blessed. We're blessed because the favor of God is upon us. Because he's made it possible for us to have a relationship with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, he's poured out his Holy Spirit on us richly. He's given us a new birth through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're known as the upright, the righteous, the humble, the wise in this text. And therefore, we are in his confidence. He blesses our dwelling. He gives us favor. We will inherit honor from him. And apart from this work of grace that God does by pouring out his spirit to give us new life, we would continue to be known as the other people, the devious, the wicked, the scornful, the fool. Apart from his grace in Christ, we would be an abomination to the Lord. 
We would have his curse upon us. We would be scorned by him. We would be disgraced by him. So again, all people are left with two ways to live. Any of us, all of us must answer this question. Which way are we going to live? Are you going to live life your way and be known by God as devious, wicked, scornful, fool? Where you pursue the wisdom of God by faith in the Lord Jesus to receive his Holy Spirit, the new birth, to be known as the upright, the righteous, the humble, the wise. Which way is it going to be for you? Which way is it for you? And for those who do know him, for you, Christian, the admonition that Solomon gives to his son here continues to ring true. Do not forget the teaching of the Lord. Let your heart keep his commandments. Do not despise his teaching when he corrects you. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Do not lose sight of them. The wisdom of God is a blessing for you. It is perhaps one of the greatest blessings that God gives to us today. It is even as a tree of life for us, an adornment for our neck. It is life for your soul. Hold fast to the wisdom of God, beloved. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you again for your wisdom. Thank you for your word, which is true, your word, which sanctifies us and leads us to your wisdom. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people who do just as we were commanded, were instructed in in Proverbs chapter 3, that we seek after your wisdom, that we do not forget your wisdom, that we lay hold of it, that we do not lose sight of it that we cling to your wisdom, that we do all of this for your glory and for our good. And we pray all this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.